Greetings, family. Thank you so much. It's so good for us to be able to gather together again, together to pray, to worship, and to get empowered to be able to live lives of significance wherever we are and wherever we find ourselves. And before we go any further into the service, let's just prepare our hearts and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for yet another day that you have given us, Lord. We thank you, Father God, because each and every day is a gift from you, Lord God. It is not guaranteed. It's not something that we do something to receive, Father God. It's just a gift of your grace and of your faithfulness. And we pray that you help us to be able to live each and every day on purpose and intentionally making the most of each and every day. And now as we are about to go into the service, we pray, Lord, that you open our hearts, that you open our minds, Lord, that you open even our ears to be able to hear to receive and to understand the word that is going to be preached today. But more importantly, we pray that you help us, Lord God, to be able to apply whatever we learn today in our lives so that our lives may be transformed and changed. We pray for all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you are here for the very first time, a huge welcome to you. We are so excited that you are here. And I'd like to ask you to just click the link in the description that says, I am new here. And that will open a form where you can fill in our connect card. And that will basically let us know that you were here. And now let's just take a moment to look at what's happening here at People's Church. And every Tuesday morning at 5 o'clock in the morning, we have what we call dawn prayer. And that is a, the new prayer meeting that we just started. That is virtual. It takes place via a WhatsApp group. And if you'd like to be a part of that, just send us a WhatsApp message and we will add you. And you can click the link in the description, Join Dawn Prayers. And every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m., we have our weekly in-person prayer meeting. And if you'd like to be a part of that, we'd also like you to just pre-book uh, before you come. And you can do that by clicking the link, um, Midweek Prayer Service, in the description. And every Sunday morning, we have uh, our in-person worship services, both for adults as well as for, for children. Our children's church uh, program is back, and so your children can sign up for that, or you can sign your children up for that. And there is also a link uh, for you to be able to do that. Otherwise, you can always send us a WhatsApp message. And on the 5th of September, which is two weeks from now, we'll be having our annual general meeting. And every person who is a member of People's Church is invited and indeed encouraged to attend the annual general meeting. And it will take place both in person as well as online. So we will stream and you will also be able to be a part of that in person. And if you'd like to attend in person here at church, please just click the link uh, on the description or you can just send us a WhatsApp message and we will book, we will book you and, and save your seat for that. And now we are going to sing together and I'd like to encourage you that as we sing, join along, sing along with us um, if you are able based on where you are. But sing along and in fact, I would like to ask you to also just put it in the description there to let us know where you are watching this service from. And now let us sing together. Enjoy the rest of the service.
Church. Uh, for those who do not know me, my name is Unzukani Maduleke, and I'm here to give you the offering message for today. Uh, I would like to start. I would like to first start by saying thank you to everyone who is contributing to the church, uh, whether it's through finances, through prayer, and also through uh, serving. Uh, your contribution makes a difference to the church. So for today, we'll be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter six. And we'll be reading from verses. We'll be reading from verse one to verse four, and it reads as follows: Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you. They have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, church, ah, uh, from the passage, uh, Jesus Christ is just uh, teaching us how to give and how not to give. He's teaching us 
about uh, the manner in which we should be giving to, to, to other people as well. Uh, Jesus says that when we give, we should not look for recognition. We should not look for attention and we should not seek any glory for ourselves. Our giving shouldn't be self-centered. It shouldn't be done to boost our egos. He, first, he further says that if we give to be seen, there won't be any reward for us. Giving in secret comes with a reward. We get that from the scriptures. And it is pleasing to God. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, there is nothing wrong with giving in public, but it all comes down to our motivation. So church, uh, today as we give, uh, let us uh, remember whether we're giving in church or out of church, let us remember that our giving is not to make us look special, but to glorify God and make him special. We are to give generously, sacrificially, humbly, and also quietly. May God bless you as you give. Thank you, church. Hi, church. We hope you are all doing well. I'd like to personally invite you to our next in-person Sunday or Wednesday church gatherings. We understand that safety is a priority for most people right now. And I can assure you that we are taking all the necessary precautions to make sure that you and your family will be safe before, during, and after the church gathering. So here are some of the things that you can expect at any of our in-person church gatherings. Upon arrival, you'll be greeted by our fantastic check-in managers who will scan your temperature and make sure that you have filled in the COVID-19 declaration form. To ensure a smooth and contactless check-in experience, we ask that you uh, pre-book your seat online and also fill in the COVID-19 declaration form prior to your arrival at church. If you are also signing up for other members of your family, make sure that you have filled in the COVID-19 declaration form for each member of your family. As you enter the auditorium, uh, one of our ushers is going to help you to find your seat. Now, our seats have been spaced out to allow for a safe physical distance between you and those that are around you. But you also have the option of sitting next to your family members and your loved ones. We ask that you kindly keep your face mask on, covering both your nose and your mouth throughout the time that you will be on the church premises. Because your safety and the safety of those that are around you is one of our top priorities. And lastly, as awesome as Church at Home has been, we know and we can assure you that it cannot compare to an in-person church gathering. So I cannot wait to see you on our next church gathering. Take care and God bless you. Good morning, family, or whenever you're watching this, we do hope that you are doing well. It is always a privilege to bring the Word of God to you, because the Word of God is what we need in a time such as we are in right now. Without wasting too much time, today I'd like to speak on the topic, restoration at all cost. Restoration at all cost. Now, if you haven't followed the series from the beginning, I'd like to encourage you to watch it online. Personally, it has been very life-changing, and for many others, 
it has been life-changing so please don't um deny yourself the privilege of learning from the book of nehemiah we are in week eight of the series rise and rebuild so let us today go deeper into the thought of the cost of restoring broken walls. You may ask yourself, why do we need to restore broken walls? What is the significance of a wall anyway? And if it falls, then why can't we just leave it in that way? Well, can you imagine living in a house that has no walls? Would it still be a house, I wonder? Now, I miss the good old days where <laughs> houses were built in such a way that every room was separate, right? The kitchen was separate from the sitting area and all of that. But now we are full or bombarded with what we call open plan houses. And that remains a challenge because sometimes I want to cook in my kitchen without the visitors seeing what I'm putting in my pot. But hey, <laughs> we don't have walls there anymore. So this week, as I cleaned up certain areas in my house, I was very thankful for a wall that separated my sitting room from my bedroom. Because it's easy to close a door, and whatever you do not want to be seen remains behind the door. Now, if there were no walls and people could see right through every corner of our space, every corner of our heart and our mind, would we be comfortable? Would it still be safe for us? So now, I must point out, though, that certain walls are healthy and others are not. Certain walls are protective, but others will not do you any good because it doesn't help having a wall and your bedroom becomes full of rubbish until a point where you can't even use the room anymore. Over the past two years, I believe that the whole world has experienced the collapse of walls. I mean, think about it. Our health walls have fallen. Our economic walls have fallen. Educational walls have fallen, and even family walls. Some people have lost the core and the backbone of their families through this COVID. So walls have fallen and fallen, and we are all feeling exposed. We are all feeling vulnerable to a certain point, helpless. And maybe you're even wondering, has God forgotten about us? Or maybe this is judgment for all the sins that we have committed as the human race, right? It makes me remember certain events in the Bible where people felt that they had been forgotten by God because they were going through something that seemed to be lasting forever. Let me remind you about Noah. I mean, the floods lasted for long. Everything, <clears throat> you know, the waters went up and up and up. And Noah was waiting for this flood to end. So sometimes it seems as if we're in a period where God has forgotten us. There were women who were waiting for a child to be given to them. Rachel, Sarah, Hannah, Elizabeth, you know, and many more. They experienced barrenness. And when somebody calls you barren, it's not because you haven't given birth to a child in a year. It means that over time, over time, we've waited and nothing happened. And then there was the children of Israel. They were in slavery and bondage for so long. To a point where when God found Moses at the burning bush, he said to him, I have remembered my children. The cry of my children has reached to me. Now, in the period where the walls are taken down, there is 
time is not standing still. Things are still happening, but it seems as if nothing is going on because it's one thing that we are focused on, and that thing doesn't seem to be changing. At this point in time, it seemed as if Israel was no longer the chosen nation. During this time, many who were captive were beginning to return home with a hope of some change, maybe a sign of repentance or even desperation. When you think of people returning in Bible days back to their hometown, they were in a place where they had nothing else. I mean, I think of Naomi. After losing everything she had, she had to return back. And then I also think of the prodigal son. He went and he squandered everything that the father had given to him, and he had to come back. Now, coming back, the decision to come back is a major one for many of us. And it's not necessarily a physical place. It could be something else that you need to come back to. Now, hopefully, at the end of this discussion today or this talk today, you will be able to identify steps and find yourself and know which step you are towards restoration. And maybe you would need to start your steps today. But we pray that God will help us. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you are here. Thank you that your word is open. Thank you that you have not hidden anything from us. I pray, Lord, that as we go into your word today, you will open our hearts to hear from you. And, Lord, you will lead us in the direction that we need to go. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. So, let's go into it. The first step I want to speak to us today about, I have called it homesickness. Now, when you hear this, you're probably wondering, what does that mean? And if we go back to Nehemiah chapter 1, which is where we started from eight weeks ago, I'm just going to read from verse 1 there. It says, In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Atazexis' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those of us who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. I, I, I highlighted the part that says, I asked them about the Jews who had returned and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Now for me, this particular scripture hit me very differently and I'll tell you why. For those of you who do not know, I am originally a Nigerian, and I've lived in South Africa for 20 years. And yes, to a certain extent, I have reestablished my roots in South Africa. But if I had to be honest with you, I still feel homesick at times. It's getting worse as I grow older, in fact. But you know what I do when I'm homesick? I go and I buy Nigerian food <laughs> that's maybe already cooked, or I go and buy food items that I can cook for myself because I like to call it home food. And there is a soothing feeling that it brings to me once I've eaten my home food. Now, sometimes I also watch an Nigerian movie or two because it helps me reconnect. You know, I hear the language and it warms my heart or the languages and it warms my heart. I see the streets, I see the food that the people are eating. I hear the music in the background, you know. I see the clothes that are wearing and these are things that I miss so much. But watching these movies brings therapy for my homesick heart. So when I speak to people who are still at home, 
The news is not always a good one. The report is not always nice. People are struggling. Some want to leave and others are returning, sometimes with nothing or to find nothing at home waiting for them, which is very sad. So like me, Nehemiah was away from home, but still very concerned about the things that were going on at home. His heart was still at home. Now, he may have been living a comfortable life. We're told that he was the cupbearer of the king. And I don't think the cupbearer of the king was the bottom of the food chain in those days. But he still longed for home. He stopped asking for, for, about home. I mean, he never stopped asking about home. You know, it almost seemed as if he had these high expectations of things that he would love to see happening at home. So imagine what this report started to do, do to him when over and over he's asking and he's been told this bad news, nothing is changing. In fact, things are getting worse. This made me wonder, what was this doing to Nehemiah's heart? And then let's bring it back home. How many of us watch the news regularly? It's gotten to a point where sometimes you feel you'd rather not watch the news because there's hardly ever any good news on the TV or on the radio or wherever you get your news from. And this makes our hearts long for home. I mean, we, we, we pray, we pray, we pray for change. And the next thing, the news is reporting a new wave somewhere or a new strain of COVID in another place. You know, we're waiting for a cure and... There is no confidence in the way things are working out. We miss giving hugs. We miss sitting in a group without masks. We miss our loved ones who have passed on. Oh, how much we long for home. What are you homesick for today? What relationships are you missing because of the space that you're in? I miss a full house at church. I miss the hugs. I miss the laughter. I miss wearing my lipstick without thinking of half of it remaining on the mask. You know, these are just real things we're dealing with. But that is step one, homesickness. So it's not a bad thing if you're feeling homesick. It's actually a good sign because there's still something that draws you back to home. We're moving on to step two. I've called step two the decision to return. This is a second step and maybe the most difficult step. It is such a big decision because we first need to acknowledge that there is nowhere else to go. None of us likes to feel stuck or helpless or desperate. But step two requires for you to understand or accept rather that there is no plan B, plan C or plan D. It means acknowledging that it is no one else's responsibility but ours. I think Nehemiah got to a point where he was no longer thinking, okay, who's going to do this? In fact, we are told in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Now, in the Bible, when you hear of people mourning, fasting, and praying, these are signs of desperation. These are people trying to get God's attention, you know, and this was Nehemiah. And another reason why this step is difficult is because for restoration to happen, we need to take responsibility for the fallen walls. For as long as other people accept us are to blame, we will not decide to return. 
Listen to verse 5. It says, Then I said, this is Nehemiah, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant, Moses. Now listen, Nehemiah did not blame the Babylonians. He did not blame Nebuchadnezzar. He did not blame the former king or governor of the state of Jerusalem. He doesn't throw tantrums. He doesn't even blame God for the situation in Jerusalem. He acknowledges that God is still God, and God keeps his covenant. Nehemiah may have been completely innocent when all of this was happening, but he goes to God and he says, we have sinned. We, even my own family, and I have sinned. And he says, we have sinned terribly. Nehemiah does not minimize the sin of Israel. You know, it got me thinking about the prodigal son in Luke 15, verse 11 to 32. Please read it in your own time. But verse 17 says, when he finally got to his senses, this was the prodigal son, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. This is where the prodigal son was at this point in time. So while the son was rehearsing his speech, after coming to his senses, he said, he actually said to the father when he arrived, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. You know, I have sinned against both heaven, not just you, but I've sinned also against God. He didn't come and say, oh, my bad, in case I messed up. If I was wrong or I was tired of working for you, or the old classic, it wasn't me, the devil bade me do it. Some marriage walls have fallen, not because of the sin that was committed, but because we have failed to acknowledge the extent to which we have hurt each other. Some working relationships between employers and employees have failed because of people not being humble enough to say, I am sorry, what I did was wrong. Now, if you remember, okay, when we go back to verse 8, sorry, it says, please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. This is still part of Nehemiah's prayer. He goes back, I mean, he says to God, God, I know, I know what you have said. You're not the one who has not kept the end of, your, of the deal here. We are the ones who have messed up. You know, he, he's not saying, God, no, no, you, you, you didn't quite do what you were trying to say. No, he said, no, Lord, it was us. You know, it was us. We are the ones who need to return. We are the ones who need to obey. He acknowledges God's position, you know, as God and our position as servants. He says, the Lord, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who, whose delight is in honoring you. You know, I thought to myself, 
he says, listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. You know, the decision to return is complete when we have decided that this time the plan is to honor God. When we are ready to do whatever it takes to honor God and no matter the cost, then you know that you have decided to return. Nehemiah was willing to do what needed to be done. And now he prays to God for favor because he says, this, we need you. We want to delight in you. We want to honor you. Please rescue us, you know. So Nehemiah could have lost his job. Nehemiah could have lost so many things. And he faced being ridiculed. I mean, imagine waking up tomorrow and saying, I'm going to change something that's been happening since before your fathers were born. It needs some courage, right? The decision to return is complete when you get to a point where you are okay, even if no one else but God believes in your decision to pursue restoration. Step three, I've called this the return. Now in chapter two, verse six, it says, the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. This is usually the shortest stage in the process. You know, we see that God had already prepared the king's heart because Nehemiah's heart was now in tune with God's plan. You know, when we return, we find that the father is already ahead of us. Nehemiah got the approval from the king and the queen, and he even got special favors. I mean, the king wrote him letters and the king provided timber for his building. This reminds me of two events in the Bible. The first one is when the children of Israel were finally leaving Egypt after God had shown so many signs, you know, to, 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 to reveal to stubborn Pharaoh that he, he is God. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 2, sorry, 12 verse 36, that the Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. Imagine that. You're the one who's a slave living in a city, but the people you are leaving give you everything you ask for. That is favor. The second scripture is in Matthew 1 from verse 19. When the angel had already appeared to Mary and told her she was going to have a child, and this was a young virgin girl who was engaged to be married. Imagine her life was about to be turned over. But because she had a willing heart, God was fixing things on the other side with Joseph. You know, we are told that the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be nice that when you have decided to go and apologize to somebody, you know that God has already gone and done the work ahead of you. I think this is encouraging for me. Now, in the story of the prodigal son, again, in, in chapter 15 of Luke, we read in verse 20, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The father had been waiting for this day for so long. It says, while he was still a long way off. Now, in these three instances, we see that God steps in in our favor when we choose to honor him. When we choose to put him above our own comfort, he steps in and he prepares the way ahead of us. Now, Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem 
took a few days to survey the area without talking to anybody, you know. But we read in, in verse 16 of chapter 2, the city officials did not know I had been out there or what I, ha or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration, meaning he had not had any meetings yet. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. You don't see them having to go through the pros and the cons of rebuilding the wall. You don't see them having to say, okay, Nehemiah, let's look at your spreadsheet. How, 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 what have you thought about? You didn't think about this. You didn't they were like, no, yes, let us rebuild the wall. Because God had already gone ahead. Because Nehemiah was in tune with what God wanted to do. Step four. This is the actual rebuilding that is about to take place. This is where the journey to restoration gets quite uncomfortable, sometimes painful. You know, one of the reasons why it gets uncomfortable is because we need to accept that we cannot do it alone. We need to ask for help, just like Nehemiah did. We need to surround ourselves with the right people for restoration to happen. Nehemiah would not have gotten very far. If he woke up on day three and started trying to build this wall on his own, he would have looked like a joke because everybody can see this thing you're trying to do is not a one-man job. You know, we see in chapter three how as many people who could join in came together to build the wall. Now, this reminded me again of a passage in Exodus 17 from 11 to 13. The children of Israel were in battle against the Amalekites. And Moses had to hold up his hand. And while his hand was up, the children of Israel were winning this battle. But when he got tired and his hands dropped, then they were being killed this time. So we read in verse 11 of Exodus 17, As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold it up, hold them up. So Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on, to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hand. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Imagine if this two people were not next to Moses, what would have happened to the children of Israel that day? We all need to identify the people around us who can help us with our rebuilding process during this restoration you know, plan that we're going on to. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This is food for thought. You know, some of us thrive in doing things on our own. But sometimes you need to realize that there is more that can get done if you can get the right people around you. In the journey of restoration, we need others. 
as I prepared for this, you know, sermon, I was actually quite intrigued by the, I don't want to say the story, but by the concept of alcohol, Alcoholic Anonymous. You know, the meetings that these people go for, people who are struggling with alcohol dependency, they go to these meetings regularly and religiously through their process of recovery. There is a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Stanford University. He's, he goes by the name Keith Humphreys. He reviewed 35 studies conducted, over, conducted by over 145 scientists, and there were 10, 000, over 10,000 participants in these studies combined. And he concluded that long-term patient outcomes were better across the board when attending AA meetings was part of the treatment. You know, he was shocked. He said, how can people who are not trained in human science and behavioral, whatever, psychology, how come they are able to help people, you know, get over such a huge dependency? And this is because of the community that is formed during the AA meetings. Asking for help doesn't make us weak. It makes us brave. Some of us need to seek professional help for things that we are dealing with. Or just tell people who you know can pray for you and hold you accountable. The second thing that makes this stage very difficult sometimes is we already know that the journey is never going to be smooth or uneventful. I mean, we're told in chapter 4, verse 1, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews. Now, there will be opposition, there will be discouragement, because not everybody will be happy with what you're trying to achieve, even if it is good work. Some people thrive in dysfunction. Some people, dysfunction works very well in their favor. So where you see trouble, they are happy. I mean, think about the COVID pandemic, you know? We are, we, we, most of us do not want it to end. And I would like to think that everybody would like it to end, I mean. You know, but at the same time, there are businesses that are thriving on this. Let's be honest. People who are uh, manufacturing sanitizers, masks. Can I even go as far as saying coffins? Businesses are booming during the season. But we all want the season to end. So don't expect that everybody will clap for you when you are trying to restore and a, a broken wall in your life. There are some people who will very, you know, straightforward come to you and say, what you're doing is nonsense. What you're doing is not going to work. But this should not discourage you. And instead of going back and going back and having these conversations with them, let us normalize talking to God first about the things that are going on in our lives. There are some days where you will feel like there is no movement at all. I mean, think about it. At some point, Nehemiah had to use some of the people to guard the walls and others to build. And before the attack came, everyone was building. You know? And at another point, even the builders had to have a building tool in the one hand and a weapon in the other hand, like we heard last week. You know? Because the work could not Stop. Yes, the work may have been delayed a bit. Yes, they could have been slowed down. Yes, they, you know, all of those things could be happening. But 
you never stop in the process. Because when you are in this process, this is closer to the finishing line than when you started. You know, sometimes it will feel like life is not fair. Others seem to be making more progress than me. You know, and I want to say at this point in time, to encourage somebody, the voices of those criticizing us is often louder than that of those building with us. Think about it. The voices of those criticizing us is often louder than that of those building with us. Not the number, just the voices. So Nehemiah says in chapter 5, verse 19, Remember, O Lord, that all I have done for this Remember, O, o Lord, all that I have done for this people and bless me for it. One thing we need to remember during the restoration, whether it's a permanent restoration, sorry, a personal restoration, or a restoration that involves other people or for the benefit of other people, we need to realize that our reward, our blessing, our pat on the back is only going to come from God. Step five, which is the final step. I've called it all done. Now what? You know, we read in, in verse 15, so on October 2nd, the war was finished. Just 52 days later, after it had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. It is very important to acknowledge, family, that without God, there is no restoration or rebuilding that can happen. With God's help, now the work was complete. But this was only the physical wall. From chapter 7, we see another type of rebuilding taking place. <laughs> Verse 1 says, As the wall was finished and I had set up the doors and the gates, the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, for he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. I said to them, do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day. And even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve at sentry posts and some in front of their own homes. Now, when I thought about that, I thought, Yes, the physical wall was now rebuilt. But now what happens to the internal wall? You know, they now decided to reconnect their hearts to God. It was now time to reconnect the hearts to God. Having a wall in place is one thing. What is happening behind the wall is also very important. They needed to restore God to his rightful place. They needed to submit themselves to godly leadership. They needed to bring back worship. They needed to account for everyone and find a place for each person to serve. They needed to make an effort to protect what they had put so much into building. Building is not enough. There are certain things that need to be put in place once a wall has been built. In chapter 8, we see that they asked for the law of God to be brought and read to everyone who could understand. From this point, it was no longer about what they thought was right or wrong. It was no longer about their rights or opinions for that matter. They read about how their ancestors had messed up by trying to do it their own way. They learned how it was not about suffering 
or even about comfort for that matter. It was about them subjecting themselves under God's authority. And this realization was too much for them. We see that in verse 9 it says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued in verse 10, This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, when you get to a point of acknowledging how impossible it is for us to build this wall, how impossible it is for us to keep God's law on our own, how impossible it is to be in right standing with God or by your good works and all the nice things you think you do. When we realize that we cannot save ourselves, this is where the strength of the Lord shows up. And this is a sacred day before the Lord. This is a good day. The day you acknowledge all by yourself that you need the Lord to come and hold your hand in this process. This is a good day. Verse 28 says, Then the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of God, together with their wives, sons, and daughters, and all who were old enough to understand, joined their leaders and bound themselves with an oath. They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God, as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. We told that these people went back to identify the rules, the laws that they had been given, that they had, you know, stopped obeying, and they went back. Because these holidays or these special days that were dedicated to the Lord reminded them of God's love for them. You know, this got me thinking that there are certain things that we need to go back to doing as children of God. We need to remember what length God went to in order to bring us back to him. We need to remember that he sent his only son, you know, to reconcile us back to him. Then other things like assembling together to hear God's word, real worship, praying and fasting, all these things will flow naturally from a place of loving the Father. Finally, we see that our relationship with God should be so tight that we do not mix up with things that will start to attack our walls again. In chapter 13, when Nehemiah returned to see how things were going, he saw that things, the children of Israel were starting to forget. They were starting to do their own things again. And Nehemiah was so upset you know, Nehemiah started talking to them, saying, why are you going back in this direction? We see him reminding them of what marrying foreign wives could do to them. Now, this is not just about marriage in, in a physical sense. This is about us trying to entertain lusts and pleasures that may seem harmless from a distance. Nehemiah used Solomon as an example to emphasize the point that none of us is immune to broken walls. No matter how intelligent and how educated you think you are, or how spiritual we are for that matter, once we begin to entertain sin, our walls begin to fall. No one is immune to the enemy's attack, and no one has the power to keep 
their walls up either. So today, I would like us to conclude by identifying which group we belong to. You know, you may be in a group or you may be somebody today who has a clear sense, as I was speaking, you had a clear sense of a wall that you need to go back and restore, of a wall that you need to go back and build, of changes that you need to bring back into your life and into your relationship with God. Or you may be somebody who has never even started this relationship with God, or who has taken a back step because life has just been tiring for you. You may be in a place where you're thinking you're in God's forgotten phase. And today I want to challenge you. There is a loud call to return to our Heavenly Father. There is a loud call to restore our walls with Him on the inside and not necessarily on the outside. I see the Father waiting, just like in the story of the prodigal son, for the son returning and He is running towards you in complete excitement. What will be your response today? Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are still our Father waiting to receive us. Thank you, Lord, that you are still in the business of restoring walls. Thank you, Lord, that no walls are beyond you. There are no ruins that you cannot put back together. Father, you are the master builder. You are all that we need in this process. And we lean into you. We confess, Lord, that sometimes we have done it in our own strength. Sometimes we have thought we're smart enough. We can protect ourselves. Sometimes we have just turned our eyes away from the broken walls in our lives. And we pray today that you give us the courage to go back and restore all the broken walls that you are going to reveal to us today. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. That was a phenomenal word from Sis Busi. Thank you so much for that. I sincerely hope and trust that indeed you have benefited from listening to that message and that it's going to help you indeed as we all journey together personally in our lives towards restoration. And this actually marks the end of our eight-week journey uh, which, was, which we have been taking together through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And I trust, we all trust uh, here at People's Church that indeed you have been benefiting from the messages. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Take care and have a wonderful week ahead.